Well, we um, come to Romans chapter 8, and we've been going through Romans 8 very slowly. And the reason why is that in Romans 8, there's so much in there that is that you had to stop and, and, and take out and, and look at, like a, like a diamond, and, 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 and look at it and study it. So we're in Romans 8, and many people like this chapter, but they like it for some of the other reasons than what I'm bringing out um, to you this morning. And Romans, the whole book of Romans, speak about the gospel of God. And Romans 8 speak about the gospel in deeper sense as well. And we're going to be looking at that as well. So Romans 8, speaking about the gospel. Three things I want to say about what we just read. The first thing I want to talk about is temporary suffering. Temporary suffering. And the verse that we read is this. Paul says, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So Paul says that he considers, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing. See, Paul was speaking to a church about their suffering. In fact, he includes himself. He says, our present suffering. Now, we know something about Paul's sufferings. Some of you don't know much about the Apostle Paul. But when he writes, he speaks about how much he suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you wouldn't suffer the way he did if what he believed was untrue. But he knew that Jesus Christ was alive. And because he knew that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he was prepared to suffer for Christ. So he writes about his suffering. Let's just read something about it. It's it's, it's in Corinthians. He says this, a testimony. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Can we just stop right there? Isn't that suffering? Can we just stop right there for one moment? 
We all speak about how great Paul was. What a great preacher he was. How God used him mightily and wonderfully. But his testimony is this. I have known what it was to suffer. So much so. I, can, I don't need to go through it all again with you, but we read the flogging and the beating and the stoning. We read about being lost at sea, being hungry and thirsty, being naked. We read all about these things, and he did it all because he knew the Lord Jesus Christ was alive. He suffered tremendously. But he says, I consider that our present suffering, not just my suffering, but he said that your suffering as well speaking to the church he was writing to you see the early Christians knew something about suffering from our history books we know that in AD 64 Rome burnt It took six days to stop the fire from burning throughout the entire Roman Empire, the the entire Roman city. Six days to stop it. And some people say that Nero set the fire himself. But whatever took place, Nero, the Caesar of that time, blamed the Christians for that fire. And so he had the Christians living in Rome. He had them rounded up. And some of you know the stories. They were rounded up. Men, women, and children. They were taken into the arena. And there they were fed to lions. Some of them had their bodies tied to poles and painted with pitch and then lighted up so that the roads could be lit up at night by the bodies of Christians on stakes. In fact, the Bible will turn around and say these Christians suffered in the first century, but also the Bible says this is not unusual. Because look what it says in Hebrews about the suffering of the people of God. Women received back their dead raised to life again there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destituted, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. This is the history of the church. I'm not giving you any fancy stuff that, you know, you, you, you may not, um, you might need faith to believe in. I'm not giving you anything that you need faith to believe in. I'm giving you hard facts this morning. And this is what our history books tells us what took place, and to Christians. Paul turns around and he says that he considers our present suffering not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. What does he mean? 
He speaks again in... Um, there's that verse, not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Well, he speaks again over in Corinthians. He says this. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. What the Bible says is this. No eye has seen it, no ear has heard. It hasn't even entered into the mind of men what God has prepared for those who love him. But, Scripture says, God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. What has God revealed? Because it has to be something great. Because these Christians were burnt. These Christians were drowned. Like Paul, they were whipped and flogged. Like Paul, they were sawn into. They suffered greatly. What has God prepared for these Christians? What has God prepared for those who suffer? Like these men and women. What has God prepared for them? And you and me will be included in what God has prepared for them. Sometimes I don't think I'm worthy to be included with what these Christians in the past went through. I don't think I'm worthy to stand next to Christians who were martyred and burnt and, and didn't deny. I don't feel worthy to stand next to them. But I am included in what God has prepared. You are included in what God has prepared for them. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, hasn't even entered into the minds of men, but God has revealed it. So what has God revealed? We find it in Romans chapter 8, what God has and is revealing. So let's look back in Romans 8, because it's right here. So my second, my second point First point was temporary suffering. Second point here is permanent home. Let's read what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. It says this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. What does it mean that the creation was subjected to frustration? What does that mean? Well, you know, over the last few years, there's been a lot of talk about saving the planet. You probably heard a lot of talk about that. I'm not an expert, but I do know that um, global warming is an issue. In fact, the United Nations, the head of states have gathered together, many of them, and they've met in different countries for the past 10 years. The United Nations have gathered together and they sit down to discuss how they can reduce greenhouse gases emissions. They speak about how they can limit pollution. They speak about how they can um, 
countries, the developing countries, how they can stop these countries polluting the atmosphere. And they meet heads of state to discuss these things. Why do they do it? Well, they did it because they did do it because they know that this planet is dying. That's why they do it. I mean, I've heard that diesel cars will not be a car of the future. Those of us who drive diesel, we will be driving electric cars in the next five years. Because they say that diesel and other material pollute the atmosphere, pollute the world, and it is dying. Now, they cannot stop it dying. They know they cannot stop it from dying, but they're trying their best to slow the process down. That is why they're meeting every single year to discuss the greenhouse issue, because they're trying to slow it down. They cannot stop it. They know they can't, but they want to, to try to hold it back as long as possible. But the real answer is not found in the summits of the United Nations. The real answer is not found by heads of state meeting together and discussing about what the world's going to happen in what's going to happen to the world in a few years time. The real answer is found in the word of God. Because the Bible says for the creation was subjected to frustration. When God made this world, he did not create it to last forever. In other words, this world that we're living in, this planet that we are spinning on, is dying. It's empty. In fact, it is Decaying. And that's what the scripture says. It's got a bondage. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Verse 21 said that it is in bondage to decay. Look around you, it's everywhere. Decay in our planet is everywhere. Even in England, we have heat waves in March, we have floods. In October, we have hurricanes any time of the year. You go around, the scientist tells us that ice is melting in the North Pole. Islands are vanishing under the sea. Land are disappearing. You go to Africa and you see that the rivers are drying up. It's everywhere. Decay is everywhere. This planet is dying. The sun that we look up at is a star and everyone knows anything about the cosmos will know that stars die. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to think about it. Everybody wants to carry on um, as if they can live here forever. But the fact is, this world, that sun is dying. And God never intended this world 
to last forever. So what has he prepared? You remember what the verse I'm talking about? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the minds of men what God has prepared. So what has God prepared? Well, look at the word. It says this in Isaiah. See, this is God speaking. I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Behold, says the Lord, see, I am going to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things, the old things will not be remembered. I remember when I was um, in my early 20s, I remember my first car um, 25 years ago or so, and um, it was a Ford Fiesta, a B-Reg, I think it was. And um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a good car. I, I enjoyed driving. But as I grew older and had different vehicles, you know, I remember getting a, a Chrysler. And as I got into my Chrysler, I got my family into my Chrysler, and I'm brand new Chrysler, brand new Chrysler, secondhand, brand new to me. And I was driving this Chrysler, you know, and I thought back to my old Ford Fiesta. I didn't want it anymore. You couldn't give it to me. It was something that was in the past, something that was old and decayed. I can remember it, but I didn't want it. This is what God is saying here today. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what? You may remember what is going on back in those days, but I want to tell you, you won't want the old stuff anymore once I've created the brand new stuff. The former things will not be real, nor will they even come into your mind. How many of you had old cars that you drove when you were young teenagers? Don't even think about it anymore, but you do remember what car you had. God's saying, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. The old things. But that's not the only verse that speaks about this. Look what, the, what Peter says. As you look forward to the day of God and speed his coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt away, will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Keeping with his promise. God is saying, I'm going to do this. This is my promise. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. The old is going to be disappeared. It's going to be melted away by fire. But keeping with my word and my promise, there's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. I'm preparing it already, says God. No eye has seen no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the minds of men what God has prepared for those whom he loves. But he's revealed it to us by his spirit. And here it is. But not only is it mentioned here, it's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth 
had passed away and there was no longer any sea. It's passed away. It's gone. And you and I know that what I'm talking about is right when I say that this present earth is decaying. This present earth is passing away. You have to be someone with your head in the sand to not realize what's going on in our whole world situation. This world is not going to last forever. You know this and I know this. But what the word God is saying, listen, I'm preparing something new. Something's coming. And it's prepared for those who love me. Those who have committed themselves to me. Those who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have been born again. I'm preparing something for them, says the Lord. And it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And when you are going through suffering. When you are being sawn in two. When you are losing loved ones. God says... Do not fear. I'm preparing a new heaven. But let's go on, because that's not the only thing God is preparing. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither have it entered into the minds of men what God has prepared for those who love him. What else is God preparing? Let's go back into Romans chapter 8, and we will see what else God is preparing. Sort of permanent home, Glorious body. Look at Romans 8.23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, most Christians, when they think about being saved, they only think about it in a spiritual sense. What I mean is this. They believe that once they're saved and then they die, their soul or their spirit will go and be with the Lord and their body will go into the ground. Now that is true. For we know that when you die, Jesus turned around, didn't he? And he said to the criminal on the cross, Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. So we know that when you die, you're immediately with the Lord. In fact, Paul says this as well. Paul turns around and says, I'm torn between the two. I decide to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So we know that when you die, you are in the presence of God. That's what is written in the scriptures. But that's not the whole story. That is not the complete story. According to the spirit here, Paul says we are to be adopted as sons. Let's go back to that verse. Paul says we are to be adopted as sons. Here it is. Not only so, but we ourselves who are we have the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, this brings me back to the Christians in the first century. Remember what I said? 
Some of these Christians did not have a body to bury. They were eaten whole by a lion. They didn't have two parts of the same body. Some of the bodies were sawn in two. One, body was, one part was disposed of there, another part was disposed of somewhere else. Some of them was burnt, and their bodies were turned into ash, nothing to bury. There was no body to be seen. Some of them was put in bags, and heavy bricks were added on to those bags. The bags were tied up, and they were thrown over a cliff into a sea, and the body would sink deep into the waters, maybe eaten by, by wild animals. There was no bodies so what did the preachers of the first church, how did they encourage the Christians sitting in the pews, sitting in their churches, worrying about the, the, the brother or the sister who just got eaten by a lion and there was no body to bury? What about them? Well, Paul says... Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Oh, my soul is in the presence of God, but God ain't done yet. God's going to adopt me as a son and he's going to redeem my body. He's going to bring my body again back onto the new heaven and the new earth. Well, you say, well, how is that possible? Let's go on through these verses that I already quoted to you. How is that possible? Therefore, we do not lose heart, says Paul. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Outwardly. Now, some of you don't realize that I was sitting with my my friend, me and Jeff, was having breakfast together. We were talking about how hard we got to work in the, in, in, in the gym. And I see some very fit guys out there who work really hard in their 50s, and they're fitter than, than most of the young guys, and they're working hard. But they can tell you, the first one to tell you, that when they look in the mirror, they see gray hair. I see all the time. I hardly see any black skin. I just see white when I look in the mirror. And what I'm seeing is that outwardly, Outwardly, I'm decaying. Outwardly, I'm wasting away. Outwardly, I'm getting weaker. Outwardly, my body is not handling stuff as I used to when I was a young man. Outwardly, but inwardly, says the word of God. I'm being renewed day by day. But not only did he say that about the outward body, he goes on to say this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh, outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, we can't see what God is preparing for us, that new body. We can't see it yet. We can't see... All we can see now is the outward side. We can see that 
decaying. We can see the creases and the grey, and we can see that, and, and, and we look at that and we say, yeah, I can see I'm getting older, but I'm in what I know that I'm being renewed by the Spirit of God. But I can't see anything more than that. But God is saying, I'm preparing something for you, my dear friend. My dear son, I'm preparing you a new body. My dear daughter, I'm preparing you something new. Something that will go with a new heaven and a new earth. I'm preparing something for you. In fact, Paul says here, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he's talking about this earthly tent. If this earthly tent we live in, your earthly tent, you're sitting in your earthly tent at this moment, if it's been destroyed. Now, Paul is talking about Christians who are being persecuted. I'm not talking about Christians who die in an old person's home at 80 years old and they just die peacefully. You're not really talking about that. He's talking about the body being destroyed. Christians being murdered, martyred, killed, stoned. If our earthly body, this tent, is being destroyed, he says, we have a building from God. Now, when he says a building, he's not talking about a building as in a mansion. He's talking about a new body that God has put together. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform your lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul says we groan. We groan inwardly. We long to be clothed. Not in this body that we have now. The young people, they look at their bodies and they're, they're getting stronger and, and they're getting fitter. They can run faster and they can, you know, they've got no, no creases and they've got no, no crinkles. But you wait a while, you young people. It'll all come. It'll come. But he's not really speaking so much about the creases that we have. He's speaking to suffering Christians. You see, this message needs to be preached in areas where Christians are really suffering. It needs to be preached in Pakistan and India. It needs to be preached in North Korea and in parts of Nigeria. It needs to be preached in parts of Africa and parts of um, Arabia where Christians are are suffering because when their bodies are being destroyed, God is saying, fear not, there's hope. 
Do not despair because I am prepared something for you that your body will not even remember the pain and the suffering. You will remember this, this present earth because I have prepared something for you, says God, that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither have it entered into the minds of men, but I have prepared something for you. This message should not be preached to comfortable Christians in the West, but to suffering Christians in the East. But God is turning around and saying, I've got your back. This world that we want to live in, this world that we want to make into a new world, this world that we want to make sure we stay as long as possible. Hold on, I don't want to go, I don't want to leave. This world, the Bible says, is subjected to frustration. It's decaying, it's futile, it's empty, it has no purpose. And one day God is going to have done with this world. And God says, fear not. Behold, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. And when you go into the ground, yes, your soul will be me being paradise, but I'm going to grab hold. Wherever you may be, you might have been burnt. You might have been eaten by lions. You might have been sawn in two. You might have been lost at sea. Wherever you may be, I'm going to do a work that man has not understood, and I'm going to bring you again and cause you to have a body like the Lord Jesus Christ. A glorious body that will live and walk on the new heaven and on the new earth. That is the promise of God. It's right here in Romans chapter 8. Most people haven't seen it. They quickly rush into Romans chapter 8 at their last verses and they rejoice over a couple of the, the last verses of what, 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 what Romans say. But they forget that in the middle, there's great, wonderful, glorious hope for Christians who suffer. I consider that our present sufferings, what we are going through, Losing loved ones. Going through persecution and hardships. The present sufferings. is not even worth comparing. In fact, Paul calls them light. They're light sufferings. What, Paul? You mean being shipwrecked? You mean being stoned? You mean being left for dead? You mean being whipped 40 times minus one? You mean having beaten with rods is light? How can it be light, Paul? These things are terrible. And Paul says they're light compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in me. You know, some Christians don't want any suffering. I remember the other day I prayed with a man. He came up to me and goes, I've got a bellyache. Can you pray for me? I want this bellyache to go. I looked at him and I prayed for you. And don't get me wrong, you know. We want to pray for people who are ill and sick. Don't get me wrong. But back in my mind, I thought to myself, my day, just imagine that belly was sawn in half. How would you pray then? Just imagine. Praise God for healing, but just imagine living the way these believers lived. 
And yet, by God's grace, he said, you know what? I'm not going to separate you. I'm going to take these Christians who suffered and bled and died and were martyred, and I'm going to put them in a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm going to take these Christians from the West who doesn't know nothing about suffering, nothing about dying, nothing about pain, nothing about loss, but I'm going to take you as well, and I'm going to join you with them, and both together will enter my glory. That is mercy, isn't it? That is grace, isn't it? That God would include you with them. God will take me and place me with men like Hugh Latimer who was burnt at the stake because he believed the word of God. I will be with him. Isn't that glorious? Yes, it is indeed. But only for those who love him. Let me quote that last verse one more time. I has not seen ear has not heard neither has it even entered into the minds of men what God has prepared for those who love him do you love him this morning the way you were singing this morning I swear I heard some voices behind me who were saying I love him this morning I'm here because I love God I'm here because I love Christ I'm not perfect. My Christian life is a bit wobbly at times, but I know that I love him. Well, if that's you this morning, then God's preparing something for you that will bring all the present hardships that you face here will make them appear nothing. You have a new body and you're going to live on a new earth. The old things, the former things, will be gone. Praise be to God for his grace. Let us pray. Father.